Game Changer Episode 23, Using the Gamification User Types in the Real World, featuring Andrew Marshevsky. Welcome to Game Changer, a series on using gamification to engage employees. Join us as industry experts discuss one of the hottest trends in business today. Using game thinking to engage employees in work, wellness, recruiting, and more. This is a special podcast series by the producers of the top-rated podcast, The Engaging Leader. And now, with nearly 20 years of experience helping engage hundreds of thousands of employees at Fortune 500 companies and other organizations, here's your host, Jesse Leahy. Welcome to the show, Game Changers. This is the show for CEOs, HR executives, and other business leaders to learn about internal gamification. Over the course of this series, you'll hear examples and pitfalls, discover how to assess when it's an appropriate strategy, and learn to evaluate gamification partners and game design ideas. I am Jesse Leahy, and our guest today is Andrew Marshevsky. He has been a web designer since 2000, and he's now the internet webmaster at Capgemini UK. Now, our longtime listeners will Remember that we spoke with Capgemini consultant Maggie Buggy back in Game Changer episode 13. So this time we have a, another representative from Capgemini, but instead of doing ex- external consulting for clients, Andre is actually responsible for engaging employees within Capgemini. So we've got some sort of hands-on techie kind of uh, experience here. Uh, Andre has been interested in gamification for several years now. He is the author of an Amazon Kindle ebook called Gamification, A Simple Introduction. And he's the author of a popular blog that we have a lot of people following. So without further ado, Andre, welcome to Game Changer. Hi, thanks very much for having me. Andre, we're going to talk about user types today. You recently had a blog post that got a lot of comments called user types 2.0. But before we jump into what the user types are as you've defined them, why is this even important to be looking at in the world of gamification? Okay, um, there's, there's a few reasons. The um, One of them which is important to me is understanding the people you're trying to actually engage with through gamification. Um, it's, it's a fundamental building block of anything. If you don't know who you're designing for uh, and why you're designing for them, you can't really build anything. Um, the other thing which is very important and something that uh, Amy Jo Kim has mentioned when talking about things like Bartles types and her social types is it's a really good reminder to people that people are different. There's, there's, no, there's no sort of one size fits all for engagement. So it just, it just helps to break that down a bit for people. Yeah, Amy actually specifically says that if you aren't paying attention to the multiple user types, sort of the default is that people tend to target only that sort of achiever type or the, the people that are interested in competition. And so you you tend to end up with gamification that's overly focused on the basics like points, badges, and leaderboards. Yeah, and um, that's not the end of the world. You know, we are talking about it um, yesterday's blog, actually, that uh, 
what I would call thin layer gamification. So I have it on my website. I have Captain Up on there and you get points and badges for doing various things across the site. But the reason I put it there was because it was a bit of fun for my readers. It wasn't there to engage them particularly. It wasn't there to try and improve usage of the site. It wasn't there to try and solve world hunger. You know, it was just there for (laughs) a bit of fun. (laughs) Um, So, you know, so achievers like it, uh, some people just sit there and click on things. They know that it helps me. So you get, a, as I put it, the philanthropists, they're gonna, they, 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 they want to help. So they click on things and they keep going on the site because they know it gives me better views. But generally speaking, yeah, if, if, you, if you ignore those types, you just end up with the bells and whistles, as um, Jane McDonald would put it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, you mentioned philanthropist, which is one of the your user types. Can you give us an overview of your user types and and maybe then we can talk about the history behind those okay so currently as it stands today as they change quite rapidly in my head um there are four main types um and i won't dig into the history as you said you'll you'll go into that in a minute but uh you have the philanthropist the achiever socializer and free spirit uh and then on top of that you also have uh, what i call the player and the disruptor so uh, they're, they're very, very different people, but um, the player and the disruptor are kind of, they're, they're groups of on their own, but it becomes incredibly complicated when you've got sort of 16 user types floating around or whatever it is. So um, <laughs> try, try to make it as simple as possible. <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely a good argument for understanding all the different types of motivation, but at some point it can get overly complicated and you can lose sight of as far as what the basic purpose of understanding user types are, which I guess, since you you kind of quoted uh, Amy Jo Kim, it, it's it's kind of just to make sure you know that different types of people have are, are going to be engaged by different types of motivations. Yeah, and it's it's to make it practical as well. So uh, if we, if we look at sort of why I came up with these um, or, or how I came up with them, um, I was actually doing a lot of looking into the motivation side of things and came to the conclusion through Dan Pink and Desi and Ryan, that sort of stuff, that essentially there are four basic blocks that, it, that um, motivate people, which was the relatedness, autonomy, mastery, and purpose, uh, which I think you're fully aware of, having read some of your bits. Right. So um, I came to the conclusion that if those are the four basic bits of everything, then how did they fit into what everyone else was talking about? So Bartle and... Um, uh, Nicola Zaro and people like that who have all got their own taxonomies and models. And it was just trying to fit something around it that worked for gamification because none of these models work for gamification. And their authors all admit um, quite openly. And Bartle's very vocal about the fact that his stuff isn't for gamification, it's for games. So I wanted to try and build something that fits gamification and can be talked about in an enterprise setting. So first of all, help us understand that. Why doesn't, why don't those models fit gamification? If, they're, if they work for games, why don't they work for gamification? Um, the, the sort of the, the almost sarcastic answer is games aren't gamification. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's, a fairly, it's a fairly blunt answer. Um, but the, the main reason is because, and this, this is going back to, I've had a lot of conversations with Richard Bartle about this. Um, I, spent, I was lucky enough to spend quite a lot of time in Madrid with him this year. Um, and the, the, reason, the reasoning behind it is, in a game, you're there voluntarily to play. That's why you do it. You want to go into it. I'm not being forced at gunpoint to play Call of Duty. Um, 
However, within gamification, the the player as such, hence I, if you'll notice, I call mine user types, not player types as well. The, the person who's involved isn't necessarily there because they want to be there. The aim is to make them want to be there. But in reality, you know, if I'm going to be using my expenses system, it's because I need my expenses filled in. Mm-hmm. It's not because I want to go and play the expenses game. So when you're looking at player types, and we'll go back to the, the whole killer, achiever, explorer, and socializer side of things, um, they don't really fit properly because, you know, a killer, if you take a killer into the real world, a killer type into the real world, the base definition of killer is somebody who wants to cause the maximum amount of damage to other people within the game purely because that's what they want to do. They want to impose themselves on someone. And it's a really extreme behavior. Bring that into real life. You're looking at psychopaths. <laughs> now, if, if, you, if I walk into a board meeting or, you know, you've got the CEO sat around me and we're talking about types of people in the company and you start saying, well, people are, you know, these people are killers. And you try and explain to them on pure Bartle sort of model who they are. They're going to get them arrested, let alone keep, you know, kick them out of the system. <laughs> so, it's. Um, it just, I felt it was important to try and work out based on the motivation of why people would do something, as opposed to um, how they're doing it within the system. And a lot, as as Bartle's research is based purely on really watching people and talking to them, he was getting a lot of the how, but not necessarily the why. Yeah, that's interesting. So he's watching people play games, and in, in particular at the time, he was watching people play these massive online role-playing games, and he and others were observing what they were seeing, and so they, they basically came up with these four player types, the uh, killer, the achiever, the socializer, and the explorer. And so you now are looking at it and saying, okay, but that's for games, especially that type of, uh, of game. And you end up with four basic user types in terms of for gamification and then, and then two additional types. So walk us through the, those four, the first four. Okay, so um, the first four, as I said, were based on the, these four ideas of motivation. Um, so philanthropist is motivated by purpose. Now, purpose is, is probably the most difficult one to talk about because purpose is it's like fun. It's different for everyone. Um, now, when I'm talking about purpose originally, it was um, altruism. Um, so giving to other people of yourself. But as I sort of looked into it more and understood more about how people use systems, um, it became... A bit more than that. So it wasn't just this idea of, as, as I explained it to someone once, altruism is holding the door open for someone as they walk through it. Philanthropy is opening every door as they come to it for the next 15 doors, whether you're going the same direction or not. <laughs> so it, it, it's, a slightly, it's a slightly more kind of proactive version of being nice and giving of yourself. On the other hand of that, though, the, the purpose can be different. You know, purpose can be getting to the end of a story. Purpose can be a narrative. So it, it's one of the things I introduced with 2.0 was this idea of, of gray. None of these none of these types are kind of fixed. Um, this is all you can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a lot of gray around it. Um, so the same with autonomy. So looking at the idea of um, autonomy, I came up with free spirit. 
very similar to the Explorer because, you know, it's one of the great things. Someone who likes autonomy likes to be able to go off and do their own thing. Uh, but they're also tending to be the creative ones as well because it's freedom of expression. So I, I wanted to go a bit further than Explorer because that didn't really include the creative side in, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Achiever was pretty much the same as Bartle, except that with Bartle, it was all about collecting the shiny things. You know, the people who go around and find everything they possibly can, uh, their idea of cheating would be to have a, a in-app purchase of the things they've gone and collected, you know, the, the things they had to work to get. Uh, when you're looking at the idea of mastery, it's, it's a bit deeper than that. It's more about actually learning something and, and challenging yourself and overcoming the challenges. So, with me, the achievers aren't necessarily the ones who want to collect all the shiny things. The shiny things are great representations of what they've achieved, if that makes sense. So it's, it's rather than the achievement's not getting the shiny thing, but the shiny thing does represent the achievement. <laughs> exactly, sure. <laughs> I think that kind of makes sense. Right. Um, so it's, it's a tiny bit deeper than the, the game version. And then Socializer is exactly the same as, as everyone else's version of Socializer. They're there for relatedness. They, they like... They like interacting with people. They like um, being within social networks, social competitions, collaboration with people, that kind of thing, uh, which I don't think is different from anybody else's explanation of that one. Now, you, there's something that you've mentioned here that has definitely influenced my thinking. Uh, first of all, the three of those types that you describe, to me, correlate exactly to the three needs that were discovered by Henry Murray and David McClellan and so, so which is sort of a a refinement of Maslow's hierarchy of needs so they identified them as achievement which uh, accord, which uh, correlates exactly to your achiever and then affiliation which correlates with your socializer that's motivated by relatedness and then uh, impact, or also known as power, which correlates with what you describe as the philanthrop- philanthropist that's motivated by purpose. But your uh, identification of this free spirit, I really find that helpful because I similarly, when I read Bartles and his, when he uh, illust- described this notion of the explorer, and then Amy Jo Kim continued that idea of the explorer as a as a player type. It struck me as almost seeming arbitrary. I mean, they observed people doing that activity, but what was the real motivation behind it? And it seemed rather arbitrary. But you're you're the one person that, in my mind, finally connected that with the uh, the. Free, free spirit, the, the autonomy motivation that was uh, that, that Edward D.C. and Richard Ryan researched and, and was definitely popularized in Daniel Pink's book Drive. And I hadn't really made that connection before, that the underlying motivation of autonomy is what was driving the behavior that we saw as exploring, but there's more to it than that. They don't just want to explore. They want to do anything that is going to give them a, a sense of autonomy or self-control as opposed to other people impacting them. Yeah. Um, you see, there, there's a couple of things there because 
a lot of people, when they're talking about, because I'm trying to think which way around that is, because autonomy and purpose aren't in both Desi and um, Daniel Pink's work, are they? they they've got, uh, it, well, I can't remember, they, they've, they've got one one of each. I, can, I never remember which way around that is anymore. Yeah, it's the, but, the one um, that they don't, the one that they don't, Talk, that's not common to both is relatedness because even though that's in Edward DC in DC and Ryan's work, uh, Pink excluded that. I think he just wanted to simplify and focus on three things. Yeah, that's right. Um, and also, that kind of fell under purpose a little bit as well for some people right. in their minds yeah. because um, you know it's all to do with status and this kind of thing. And when you look at Maslow, it all kind of meshes into one block in in in. Uh, the top end somewhere of his of his pyramid, but um, for me, yeah, aut- autonomy it was really important because, as you say, you don't really think about it because people just like to go off and do things, um, but you don't account for that very often when you're designing gamif- gamified systems because you're trying to funnel people down through to what you want them to do, and that isn't always helpful because sometimes people don't want to do what you want them to do, which is where this disruptor idea came from because um, some people just want to explore the system and that may be positive or negative. So with the disruptor, you have an improver or a destroyer. Now, the improver is the one who will come back to you and say, do you know what, I found this little loophole here, which is really bad. Uh, if you fix it, it should make all this better. And it's because they've gone off and they've tried things, they've pressed buttons, they've pushed at the, they've pushed at the edges of your virtual world and found where the holes are. Um, but rather than doing what, say, a destroyer would do, which is use that to then take the system down because they don't <laughs> agree with it, or um, you know, use it to their own benefit – they come back and say, oh, you know, you can make it better by doing this, which is which is great. And it does. you do get those people. They do find them and say, rather than cheating, I will actually come and help you with this. Um, so they, they kind of want to change things. But it's all part of autonomy for them. It's, it's their ability to go and go and do stuff. And all of these have this kind of positive and negative almost um, look to them because purpose for some people is potentially in their mind, they're going to be helping by taking the system down. So as far as they're concerned, the system's wrong, so they're going to destroy it. But for them, that's their purpose. You know, so when I looked at this, it was very rose-tinted glasses originally. It was really kind of, um, oh, they want to help us with the system. They want to master this. They want to be, they want to work together and all this sort of thing. Uh, and then as I looked into it more, I actually found out that, no, it's not necessarily that that, that isn't really always the truth. Sometimes um, with someone like, with a socializer, for instance, you know, the opposite of a socializer is somebody who just uses their contacts to get to, to get benefits. You know, they, they want to just network to gain clout, for instance, or cred or whatever. So it, it was kind of important to include something like autonomy because it, it it's it's a it's very grey, but it's also very obvious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of contradictory. But every, everyone you think oh, I like I like being able to do what I want to do, but you don't account for it often. Now, one thing, your definition of philanthropist uh, is that they're motivated by purpose, mm. and which which is a, a definite, definitely links over to Drive by Daniel Pink. In fact, that's the one. Most of his book was was based on DC and Ryan, and purpose was was one item that he actually added, that was not from their research. And I would link that to the the three needs, uh, 
one of the three needs being impact, that people who have that sort of core need, they want, they need to be able to influence, teach, or encourage other people. So they like anything that gives them that chance to have that kind of influential relationship. They want to be able to accomplish group goals. They want to make a difference in people's lives. And it's not necessarily, so from that perspective, from that research, it's not necessarily driven by an altruistic motive, although it certainly can be. It sort of comes from this core of just to to have an, an impact on other people. So you can you can definitely see how that could become a killer type of personality if you're put into a role playing game that allows that kind of behavior. But it, it could also be somebody that helps other people or that leads, uh, facilitates a, a group or somehow um, encourages people to move toward some purpose and they tend to as you talk about with the philanthropists they, they do tend to like having a meaning or a um, uh, a big picture uh, so, a reason why that they're doing that yeah when I first started looking into gamification that the popular way of t- saying it was um, epic meaning was the, was the favorite phrase mm-hmm. um, and this is something that Bartle actually accounts for, because if you look at Bartle's eight player types, this is exactly what, what he realized, was that the, the killer type has a positive and a negative. So your sort of negative would be your griefer, as he described them, who were the ones who just wanted to just to kill people. And as, as, he, as he originally described the killer, he, he used um, a deck of cards to describe them, and he said that... Uh, the killers were a club because they'd use the club to hit you over the head. <laughs> um, and that's, that's kind of like his grief side of things. Whereas the politician, um, which is the, the flip side of um, the killer personality, is exactly that. They, they want to um, – they kind of manipulate people around them to change and improve and help – uh, and manipulate's a horrible word that people don't like, but actually it's exactly what it's exactly what you're doing. You're you're acting on people. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a fairly kind of whatever your reasons are, you are manipulating the situation for good or bad. So the philanthropist is doing it for what they would deem a good purpose, potentially. Uh, but it, it's it's again it's. The definition comes down to the person. My my reason for helping somebody may seem like the perfectly good reason to me. So I might want to help someone across the road. Um, in fact, I remember seeing this in a comedy sketch years ago. There's a boy scout, and he's gonna he wants to get his um, his badge for helping people. So in his mind, he's got to help someone. So he gets his little old lady and grabs her by the hand, and he walks her across the road. She turns around and hits him with her shopping because she had no intention of ever going across the road. She was just <laughs> waiting there for a breather. So in his mind, he was doing something absolutely brilliant, but because he was so focused on what he wanted from it, he hadn't taken into account what she might want. So you know, the, the, it is. It's a very it's a fine line, and um, I can understand why purpose may have been ignored in certain in certain places because it's so hard to define it for everybody. Now, Bartle maintained that it was even though there's some, let's say, squabbles between different player types. That, for example, 
uh, killers can really rub socializers the wrong way. Uh, or you have, um, let's say killers can really ruin the fun that the explorers or free spirits are having. He, he still maintained that ha- attracting certain numbers of different players types was, let's say, a synergistic effect, that it made the overall experience better because if you had some of the player types that were in short supply, it actually eliminated some of the experience that was so valuable to the other player types. Um, yes. Uh, killer was actually the one that you need the least of in a system because they they don't last long because they basically they either alienate everybody or everybody gangs up and gets rid of them. But yeah, you do need that balance. Um, when I was looking at the, the user types, one of the things that occurred to me was depending on the type of system you have or you, you want to build, you need more or less of various groups of people. So whilst um, somebody, for instance, who wants to create stuff could be useful in certain circumstances, what you might want more of are philanthropists because you need to get questions answered for people. Now, which is great. But you might then need to sort of change, change tactic at some point and say, well, actually, to balance, we've got lots of people answering questions um, and reusing information. We've got no one creating anything new. So we now need to try and balance this up again and get more free spirits in and more creative people in there. So it is a, it's a fine balancing act. And within games, it's, it's especially true because if you've got nothing but socializers, all you have is a social network. There's no game there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, if all you've got are people who want to collect the shiny things, then nothing else happens in the game and you alienate other people. If you have all killers, then eventually that's all that's left is all killers. But you see, the big, the big thing with Bartle's model, and he corrected me on this so many times, it was a, it's not a taxonomy, it's a model, um, was because they evolve. People within the system can evolve. Uh, so somebody who starts off as a killer... Um, won't necessarily stay as a killer the entire time they're in the game. So uh, he, he built this off his eight types, and I've, I've just brought it up in front of me, so I'm not memorizing this or some kind of weird genius or anything. <laughs> but he's got, um, he's saying, you know, when, when someone comes into a system, they might start off being this sort of this real aggro griefer. But as they play the game and begin to understand more about it, they, they evolve into sort of networkers or scientists who then themselves evolve. And it, it, eventually it moves on to you have a group of friends almost is one of the, the, the kind of the, the last stages for a lot of people is you just have a group of friends who enjoy playing. And I've, I've seen that in games where I've, I've run on clans and things where by the end of it, actually you're not playing the game. You're just chatting to people, which is great for you, but it's bad for the game. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you've got to get the balance, but you've also got to get, and this is where I think a lot of people's, Uh, taxonomies and ideas fall over is they completely forget that what you are when you start something isn't what you are when you finish it always so whilst I might enter the system in a gamified system I might go in there uh, with my mind on purpose it might turn out that over time and the way the system's built that I become more of a free spirit because there, there are things in there that I find actually whilst my purpose might still be there I'm then able to create stuff with the tools you've given me, and that becomes more interesting to me, creating things which then allow me to help other people. So with all these surveys and things you take, what they do is they tell you what you are at that moment in time out of context. Yeah, and of the six 
user types that you've identified in your model do if, if you I'm, I'm sure the answer is going to vary by the objectives of your gamification but in general do you want to cre- uh, target do you want to build the system so that it, it targets all six of those or just some of them or are some more important than others Mm, you answered your question there actually by saying it's probably different for everything. Um, <laughs> that was the easy question, uh, the easy uh, answer. <laughs> yeah, um, no, you you don't want to try and cover everybody necessarily. Now, I used to always say the best systems will cater for everybody, which is probably true, but they're almost impossible to build because they they can't have any direct purpose. If you if you build a system where everybody can have everything they want, that's great for the user. But we really within gamification, you've got to think of what the user needs um, and what the company that have gamified whatever it is need. You know, they, they, there is a purpose to it that uh, doesn't necessarily always coincide with what the user wants to do. So when I look at these systems, what I tend to tell people is think of what you want the outcome to be. So if I want a system where I want people to learn – then I'm obviously going to create a system which targets people who are interested in mastery, um, so my achievers. But I also need it to appeal to as many other people as possible. So if I've got a, if I'm working in the company and I need everyone to do a particular course, the achiever is actually the easier one to get because they're going to do the course because it gives them some sense of mastery, which is fine. So I can I can build a system quite happily for them. But then I've got to think about well, how does that affect a socialiser? Um, you know, just going in and learning by themselves isn't really that interesting to them. So maybe I need a, some social kind of network around it, a forum or something where people can go and talk to each other. Uh, but then that might lead us to, well, if they've got a place they can talk, how can they then maybe answer each other's questions and help each other? And can we build that into something the system recognizes? So you then have your, your, your philanthropists can be involved. And then if you're, if you're going for the whole cover everybody, you then can say, well, if we can then answer the questions and help each other, maybe we can then create new extra bits to the courses to get the free spirits in there and let them build stuff the philanthropists can then use to help the socializers to then help. You know, you can, you can sort of keep rolling this through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very difficult to do. So you, you need to kind of work out exactly what the purpose of the system is um, and then try and encourage the people that you think will benefit the system most and then start working on the ones who are harder to bring in. Now, the one that I don't mention, I haven't mentioned so far is player because – this is kind of the ones who their their only interest is to get stuff, you know. So um, most systems account for them quite early on. They they give them points and badges. So you you can you can design to get them in and hopefully convert them from just being pure I want points and badges into the person who wants to actually learn what's in the system. But that's again, it's hard to do that conversion. How how do you take someone who's who's just there for points and badges and say, well, whilst you're here, why not learn something mm-hmm. or why not contribute to the system? So, yeah, when you're designing, I would say it does come down to what the system really needs. If you can cover everybody and it makes a usable system, then that's brilliant. You know, I think that that's obviously the, the, the sort of pinnacle of gamified systems, one where everybody wants to be involved reality is you're going to have one or two types that you can really focus on. 
Um, and I would say probably the ones who are most useful in the system are going to be the ones who are looking for purpose, so philanthropists and probably the achievers mostly. Yeah, the philanthropists motivated by purpose, it, that, that, to me that correlates with uh, what I call the, the impact game drive, which, which is sort of the, the, the one drive that rules them all. Uh, because, as f- from what I can gather, they, those folks are actually encouraging the others. They're they're not just themselves working toward the purpose. They're actually encouraging the other users toward the purpose. And the way they go about doing that actually can arouse the similar purpose-driven motivation in the other types of players, even though that may not be their original bent. Yeah, no, I, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. Um, which is why um, every good gamified system tends to have some way of socialising, because you need to be able to get that interaction with other people. So you, you have the ones who lead the way and the ones who are inspired by those leaders. Um, there's no way of knowing that unless you can interact in some way. So I tend to call that caretaking because they're looking after everyone else and bringing them in. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Now, the the player's type that you said is motivated by rewards, it sure seems like the vast majority of gamification efforts really start there and maybe never get past that. They're they're sort of dangling these carrots. <laughs> is that a is that a, a, an accurate statement? Is that a flaw? I really want to say no, that's not accurate, but no, unfortunately <laughs> that is quite accurate. I think anyone who's involved in gamification is fully aware that the majority of systems people talk about are the ones that are have very obvious points and badges. And it's the, it's the big thing. Whenever you read someone who's tearing apart gamification as being this, this nonsense fallacy, um, everything they cite are things where the entire system is focused around points and badges. And their favorite example to tear apart is always Foursquare. Because they say, oh, it failed miserably because they ran out of points and badges. But actually, I mean, sort of when you look at it, they didn't fail. They got millions of people involved in this big game. What they did wrong was they stopped, they stopped developing the game. They decided they were going to do something else. So I, the things that people see are the very visible points and badges. What people don't understand and why we use examples like Stack Exchange and GifGaf and that sort of thing, are the ones where the points and badges are there to represent achievement, not be the achievement, as I said before. Um, so people go, on oh, Stack Exchange, people do stuff for all the badges and the points. It's like, no, of course they don't. There's no way people who are professionals um, and who don't have to be in the system are going to write essays towards people who have asked a question about how to do this in JavaScript just because it might give them a badge. There's got to be something more to it than that. If there isn't, we're in, it's a very shallow society. Well, we are a shallow society, but you know, it's even worse than you would imagine. If, if I'm going to take an hour out of my day because it's going to give me a I wrote a JavaScript badge. <laughs> <laughs> Andre, where can people find out more about you and about your work? Well, I spend quite a lot of my life on Twitter. So if, if you're on Twitter, I am Dave Rage. Um, all one word. 
If you want to read more about me um, and see the sort of things that I'm working on that we've been talking about, uh, then the best place to get me is my blog, which is marchevsky.me. Uk, which I'm hoping will be on the website for you, but it's, uh, cause it's quite hard to spell. It's M-A-R-C-Z-E-W-S-K-I.me.uk. Uh, and that's where I put all my frameworks and the stuff about user types and weekly musings on, uh, on gamification. Uh, don't look too far back because I contradict myself as the years go on. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I also have a book called Gamification, A Simple Introduction and a Bit More on Amazon. Uh, it's an e-book. Um, have a look for me on there. I would say that I am in the middle of doing quite a big overhaul on it, sort of version three, which usually the way Amazon works, if you do a big overhaul, then it sends it out to everyone who's already got the original version for free. So, you know, it's up to you whether you whether I decide to uh, make people pay twice for it or not. Um, <laughs> and then I'm, I also appear on LinkedIn as my name, Andrzej Marchewski, but I don't do a great deal there, which is quite ironic considering how gamified it is really so yeah but t- twitter if you want to talk to me twitter's the best place to go dave rage on twitter andre marshevsky thank you for joining us on game changer thank you for having me we've been talking to andre marshevsky and his current model of user types which are the eight user types socializers which are motivated by relatedness free spirits motivated by autonomy achievers motivated by mastery philanthropists motivated by purpose, players motivated by rewards, and disruptors who are motivated by various things, but in general, they just want to disrupt your system. We'll provide all the information and links that Andre mentioned on our show notes for this episode, which you can find at engagingleader.com forward slash GC23 as in Game Changer episode 23. If you enjoy this series, be sure to check out the weekly leadership podcast, Engaging Leader, where my guests and I share more ways to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Until next time, remember, life is short, so keep it fun. You can find both Game Changer and Engaging Leader podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at engagingleader.com. To stay up on the latest news and trends in internal gamification, join the Game Changer group on LinkedIn. We'll automatically direct you to our LinkedIn group when you go to engagingleader.com group. Subscribe to our e-digest at engagingleader.com newsletter. When you do, we'll send you a free copy of Jesse's ebook, Eight Communication Tools for Leaders. You can also follow Jesse on Twitter, at Jesse Leahy, and like us at facebook.com engagingleader. Game Changer is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that helps mid-sized and large employers attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at aspendalecommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, and Peter McIsaac, who composed our theme music. 